0: Welcome to a special edition of Beyond Well, where we're going to be focusing on the effects of COVID 19 upon healthcare systems. This pandemic is proving to be an enormous challenge for health systems, coping not only with the volume of patients that are needing care as a result of COVID-19, but what do you do about other patients, those with cardiovascular, pulmonary, metabolic diseases, or cancer? It's also proven to be a psychological drain on healthcare providers, first responders, even caregivers who have been asked to stay at home with the kids to flatten the curve of contagion. I'm so delighted to be joined today by Mark Gantz, Chief Executive Officer of Cambia Health Solutions, a nonprofit total health solutions company dedicated to transforming healthcare by creating a person focused and economically sustainable system. And Dr. Jim Polo, Cambia's medical director, who focuses on strengthening and integrating the company's behavioral health practices across the organization. Thanks, both of you guys, for joining us today. I'm so, so happy to finally sit down with two men who know so much about healthcare.
1: Sheila, it's really nice to be with you.
0: I want to start with you, if
1: you don't mind, and just tell me
0: what a day in the life of Mark Gantz looks like today.
1: (laughs) A lot of conference calls and video meetings. You know, when, when, this disease started to bubble up in China back in January. We had our first emergency preparedness meeting around this. We made the assumption it was going to come to the United States. We knew we wow. needed to be prepared. We have an emergency preparedness coordinator who came to us. She actually lives in Florida. Um, she had had a lot of experience with other kinds of natural disasters, and so uh, we hired her and. She has just been a godsend for the last 10 years, 12 years that she's worked for us because she's just taken us through a lot of table exercises and the like. Interestingly, when we pressure test our own resilience and both financially and our other capabilities, global pandemic has always been the thing we pressure test against because we know that unlike an earthquake, which might strike in one part of our footprint as a company, we know that with a pandemic, it would strike all of our entire footprint and that financially we would be called upon heavily to be able to be there for um, our customers who become sick. And so what was nice was when this all spun up in early March, we weren't caught flat-footed. We were able to get all of our employees working remote from their home within a week. And we actually did an exercise the prior week where we just told all employees to stay home and log in, work as a normal day so that we could pressure test our systems, make sure we had the bandwidth. And we also figured we might learn something, Sheila, and we did. For example, our customer service professionals, they at work, they work with big screens, because they need to be able to move amongst different windows in order to serve a customer well. Well, on our work at home day, they were working from a laptop, and it was hard for them, because it's just not a big enough screen. So that following week, we had a real logistics exercise of getting equipment into their homes, getting their big screens from their offices into their homes so that they could perform at the same level. And we were able to do it and do it quickly and smoothly. And so now for the last, I don't know, three and a half weeks to a month, our employees have been working from their homes. I will tell you, Sheila, and I know that you're passionate about this, this has been hard for people spiritually, to go from seeing their friends and interacting to now being at home with their kids, you know, who are home from school unexpectedly, and they're trying to balance being able to serve our customers well with serving their families well. My hat's off to them for what they do.
0: It's a perfect time um, to talk about that with Dr. Polo, because I've been very struck by how much of the instruction from public health officials is about your physical health about the washing the hands and not touching the face and making sure that you socially distance and that you only stay within your family unit. But Dr. Polo, there's been very little instruction for people about how to be psychologically well during this period, what we can do to maintain our spirits, what we can do to maintain our personal connection with one another. I want you to talk about that if you would.
2: Sure, Uh, Sheila, that's that's a great perspective to bring up because I think it's an important one that's gonna be with us for quite some time. You know, prior to entering this COVID crisis, there was lots of emphasis in the media and in healthcare in terms of addressing behavioral health. At Cambia, we've been doing that for several years now. We fully believe that emotional well-being is a core component of just being healthy. And so we've actually spent a lot of effort before this crisis started trying to work on decreasing stigma and promoting access so that people could actually get to treatment when they need it. Yeah. Now, This pandemic has created a significant number of stressors. First of all, with all the unknowns going on, people are struggling with anxiety. They're struggling with worrying about things that, that they don't know how they're going to turn out. And, and there's even been some fear. So the, the challenges of worrying about this from a health perspective includes both gee, will I get sick and potentially have to need some kind of treatment? Yeah. And also how am I dealing with this from an emotional perspective?
1: Go ahead, Mark. I lived it, Sheila. Um, so uh, I guess it was last week of February, I was down in San Diego for a, a meeting with a bunch of hospital executives. And I flew home and I happened to be sitting next to a woman, like in middle age, and she had a dry cough. And uh, Unfortunately, her habits weren't great. So every time she coughed, I felt this brush on my, you know, (laughs) on my cheek. And I thought, I thought to myself, oh, boy. Well, anyway, about three days later, I got sick. And it was the weirdest bug I've ever had in my life. So unusual, so different than any kind of a typical cold that I've had in the past. It had elements of, I guess what I would say in retrospect, it had all the elements of a mild case of COVID-19. But, you know, because there was no testing available in Oregon, you know, I hadn't been traveling internationally. I didn't fit the pretty high criteria they have, which is how they have rationed the test. I never got tested. So I'll be probably one of millions of Americans who will have gotten sick with the disease. And unless someday they come up with a serum test where you can test for the antibodies from it, I'll never know whether I actually had it. I'll just probably be guessing that I am. Now, why do I tell that story? Our family was going to go on a a little mini trip because it was spring break for my daughter and we were just going to go down for a few days to another place. And I, because I was sick and I was worried it might be COVID, I said, I'm not going to go on the trip. I also kind of wanted to stay closer to the company because I had this feeling that it was going to be a bad week. And it was the week in which everything happened, like sports shut down, everything. Anyway, I was alone. So I'm, never have felt more pressure from the perspective of my career, a feeling of, you know, the number of decisions we made that week. I mean, (laughs) we made more decisions that week than we probably make in a typical half year. You know, it was just so coming so fast and furious. I wasn't feeling well. I was alone. I really struggled with anxiety that week. And I have never really struggled with anxiety in my life. But the pressure I was feeling, the responsibility for five thousand employees and their families and making sure that we got them home and got them safe and some of the early things we did to be there for our customers where we waived copay's immediate you know and cost share for testing that week and a number of things were that were industry leading. It felt pretty scary, you know. Those were not easy decisions and they were big decisions for us. But they were the right decisions. But I really, I felt this combination of anxiety about my own health. I know that was a big driver. And the more I read and I was reading a lot that week because I was so wanting to get up to speed on this illness, the more anxious I got, I was like, oh my God, I could end up in the hospital. I mean, you know, you kind of get yourself worked up. And I was worried about our employees. And I was, you know, it was, it was the whole, then and later in the week, it was like, is my family going to be able to get home? Oh and are they, when they get home, are they going to be well? And it's very real, and even though I've always considered myself a very resilient, decisive kind of person, that following Sunday, it almost got the best of me. I mean, I just had to go out and just—I chopped wood. I just needed to do something incredibly <laughs> physical.
0: That's beautiful. Because I just added Body, yeah. And
1: and, and it, it helped, but it was really what really helped was when my family got back and then we were together, and then that kind of smoothed things out. But. I really do get the sense of what it's like for our employees who are trying to balance so much. And especially Um,
0: those who are quarantined alone without a support network. It is a a really, really difficult time. And I can't tell you how just relieved I am, Mark, for you to share that story, because I think so many times um, CEOs in particular try to pretend that they don't have um, anxiety, that they don't suffer from worry or depression, that they don't have toxic stress, and and the relief that runs through an organization when a person who's in charge says, No, 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 this is all of us. We're all going through this and yep. we wanna actually try to develop the skill set to be able to to cope with these <laughs> things at home. And I can imagine Dr. Polo is just like nodding his head, yes. Like just normalizing this conversation is so hugely, hugely important.
1: Yes. Well, Jim has been so good in terms of reaching out to our employees. Jim, maybe you can talk about some of the outreach you've done and yeah, I'd the love videos that. you've done. Because sure. I just think he's got such a great heart yeah. and, and but also has the skill set to really be able to help others.
2: You know, Sheila, one of the things that makes this, uh, this circumstance so unique is that what we're trying to do with social distancing, which is slow the spread, is actually in some ways creating some of the emotional challenges in two ways.
0: You bet.
2: First of all, social distancing kind of keeps us away from other people. And we love to be social. So there's that aspect of changing our whole way of connecting to people. Uh, But the other thing, of course, is there are many folks that are out of work, or they're not able to work right now, which is creating a tremendous financial strain. And of course, that is a huge concern that makes people worry not only about how they might make ends meet right now, but what they're going to do in the future and all of that. All of that really creates some significant emotional difficulty for people to to deal with.
0: I I host a program every week with two psychologists, and um, we were on Zoom. And when I saw their faces, I I just got so utterly emotional because I realized, wow, I, I never have considered what a human being I am who relies on physical contact to be well. I just, it never had occurred to me. We've never been presented with this in our adult lives. Probably we haven't since 1917 gone through this idea of everyone has to be shut down and not seeing one another. And so I I just love the fact that, first of all, Mark, you were very forward in putting telecommute options in for your customers, that you were one of the first companies to say telehealth is going to be the wave of the future. Do you see that this is going to, Accelerate the use of telehealth options. I see governments moving quickly to allow it.
1: Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to I'll tell a, a little story. So our Idaho company has a board of directors, and there is a physician, a primary care f- physician from Northern Idaho, that's on that board. It's a good man, and we had a board meeting last week, and at the meeting he commented that he was so grateful that we had made telehealth available to all of our physician providers and physical therapists, and occupational therapists, and speech, you know, so that people can continue serving their patients, and he had been, he admitted, he called himself a dinosaur, because he wasn't going to do telehealth, you know, in his practice, he wanted to see his patients, you know, in the office, but because of this situation, and because frankly, it wasn't even safe necessarily for patients to come into doctor's offices, he started to embrace telehealth, and what it's done for him, and one of the reasons we did this, is it's a financial lifeline for primary care doctors, well, and all doctors and service providers, because they can do a lot more than they thought they could via a video or telephone call, Yeah. and they can serve their patients well. And because we made the decision during this crisis that we're going to pay at full parity, as if the patient did come to their office,
0: That's so. Great. it's a
1: way for them to be able to you know, they're small business. A lot of them are small businesses. This is a way for them to be able to make their way through this. And he said, he said, not only do I like it more than I thought, but when this is all over, I'm sold. I'm not going back to the old way. I'm wow. going to continue to do a mix of telehealth calls and office calls because a lot of my patients like it that way. Yeah. And he said, and I've gotten used to it. I think we're seeing that with a lot. Um, the Providence Health System I was on a a national seminar last week on pandemic preparedness, and it was great to be able to do that. Somebody from the Providence Health System said that all of last year, Providence did 4,000 telehealth calls for their entire system, all their primary care docs, everything. This year, they're forecasting 460,000 of them.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Wow. So, it, again, you know, I know a lot of hospitals are worried about their financials. They're worried about – we all are. This is a – we're in the black swan of black swan events. This is a very – none of us know what it's going to be like nine months from now. Yeah. But if they can go from 4000 to 460000 and we've helped make that possible, um, they're going to do fine. And yeah. their patients are going to be well-served because, as Jim said, one of the things that we worry about is – you know, what about all the patients with chronic disease who can't be seen because right. everyone's focused on COVID? This is a way for them to be seen. This is a way to make sure that they can get their medicines, that they can be checked up on. And it's, it's not a perfect system but it's workable yeah. and we're all trying to figure out, you know, how to do things that are workable because that's what you have to do in a crisis.
0: That's right. And you I know, think
1: there will be really good things that come from this. So I think healthcare I. will be better.
0: I do too. I think it's going to be more responsive and more accessible and, and the customers will begin to prioritize their own mental health as part of their physical health. I want to talk with you about that, um, Dr. Polo, because I can imagine you have probably taken some steps with your own family and your own friends about things that they should be doing at home yes. to try to make sure that they hold the line on. Nobody can can expect you know, superior mental health right now because it's challenging for all of us, but there are some things that we can do to just keep our mental health intact while we're going through this crisis. Would you go through a few of those things?
2: Yeah. And, and let me preface uh, some of what some of those things are uh, touching on something that you just said a moment ago. You, you use the, the, the word normalcy and Mark gave the example of how he, he had a, a, a moment of really tremendous anxiety. Those, that's actually a normal response. That's not an abnormal response. This is a very challenging time. So, you know, what I, one of the things I try to remind folks is that if, if they're struggling with anxiety, if they're struggling with worry, if they're getting frustrated, if they're finding that they have a short fuse, those are all normal, normal responses. Now, in terms of how to handle You're it. You're making you know, me feel so much better. <laughs> all of us. All in, of us. <laughs> in, in, terms, in terms of how to handle this, uh, you know, what I would tell my family and friends, what I've been trying to do for myself and what I would recommend to anybody. Try to focus on the here and now rather than the long term. And what do I mean by that? Three things. First of all, create a routine. You know, we're all socially distancing. It's changed our lives. Kids are at home. We're working from home. Create a routine and stick to it. Routines help you have a sense of expectation. Mm -hmm. And for children, it actually gives them a sense of security. Second thing, Social distancing does not mean social disconnection. So now is the time to take advantage of of media and take advantage of social platforms and actually interact with other people. One-on-one is better than groups. In real time is better than virtual. And if you can throw in a video so you can see each other, that's even better. I I recommend, particularly with media, don't spend all day reading what's going on and don't spend all day tracking what other people are doing. That's not interacting interacting is having a conversation with other people and staying away from small talk and also not spending the whole time talking about, you know, COVID. And then the third thing Hmm. which we all know but we forget when our habits change and we're stuck in one place. It's a good time to remember to still eat well, sleep well, and exercise. Hmm. So, getting out is okay As long as you follow all the restrictions, but getting out and being active keeps your body healthy, eating well keeps your your nutrients flowing, sleeping well allows you to get rested, and all of those things actually improve your immunity as well as your emotional health.
0: You know what I just love that you did, um, Dr. Polo, which I just saw Mark's face too, which is to say – anxiety is actually the right response during this. I mean, I'm a little worried about people who aren't anxiety-ridden, because what does that mean about their ability to empathize with people who've lost their jobs or who are suffering from COVID? How we choose to deal with it, I think there there is sometimes an expectation that there's a right way or a wrong way. And the only thing that I've noticed is that people who just attend to themselves with a little bit of tenderness and kindness and say, this is such a normal thing I'm going through, who do I reach out to that can help listen to me during this time of need? And whether that's your person on your EAP or it's a, a doctor, a mental health provider, a counselor, even just a friend yes. who doesn't judge you for going through these really, really intense emotions and, and sometimes strange behaviors, you know, I've had a month of not sleeping very well at all and I'm the best sleeper I know. And so I just think, uh, um, Galvanizing around the fact that we're human and we're compassionate human beings, and that this is the time where we're going to see this disrupt our mental regulation. I'm really happy, Mark, that you shared that story. It's so huge to me that you did because I think it's going to cause a lot of other health leaders to say, Yeah, maybe I should be talking about how I'm doing as well.
1: I think talking about it, um, one of the things is my brother runs an institute uh, called the Faber Institute, and it's a spiritually oriented. Enterprise, and he's been writing um, a, a Lenten meditation each week, which mm. I have taken to publishing on, on LinkedIn and and uh, Twitter because I think you know they're really quality. And what what's really neat is he takes the readings from the Catholic liturgy of each week, and then he uses a painting that he gets of a You know, like, so this week was the reading was about you know Jesus coming into Jerusalem on on Palm Sunday, and so. That's three, but he had a painting of it from uh, the French painter Tissot, and then he kind of talks about what's in the painting, and then he always has a poem, and this week he used an Emily Dickinson poem, and then he kind of takes it from there, and he relates it to what's going on right now, oh, how and how people are feeling, and uh, you know, this week's meditation was really about this notion of, he didn't use the term anxiety, he, he, he talked more about the call to hope, real hope. Um, Not not I hope this disease is over, you know, next week, but more of a deeper place. And so, you know, one of the things I found is, is is it is that reflection and going deeper is another way to be able to deal with some of the anxieties and, and stresses. And I think that in some ways, you know, that may be one of the wonderful things that comes out of this is one that families will rediscover themselves without the distraction of sports on the TV or (laughs) other kinds of things we're used to. I mean, we're watching far less TV now than we ever did because there's not much on. And, and, you know, so we're playing cribbage or, you know, we we went out and we have a dog now. We got a little puppy. So that's very time consuming, (laughs) but it's a perfect time for that. And what a great
0: harbinger of hope that is, a, a puppy.
1: Exactly, and and but also time for reflection and prayer. I just find that you know that that's we find things that when our, in our otherwise too busy lives we easily don't do, yeah. and the quiet places are often the best places, um, but we don't give ourselves that opportunity enough in our lives because there's so many distractions. Well, we're at a time when there's fewer distractions.
0: That's right. And
1: maybe that'll be one of the good things that comes out of this, especially for the younger generations that have lived their whole life, quote, online with lots of distractions. At least I can hope for that.
0: Oh, I I love that perspective. I also just remember Fred Rogers' advice to always look for the helpers. And I think you two are definitely in that category. I want to continue the conversation with you throughout this because I feel like... um, Every CEO I know is in the same place feeling very human and very exposed and very worried about um, mankind and what's going to happen and also hoping to do right by their employees and their customers first. So it's not so much right now about brand building as as it is about being real and serving. and And I see that from you too. So thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time.
2: Thank you, Sheila.